Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne. And I'm here with a fine artist, um, Ellie Aiken, who I first saw her work in 2007. Uh, Ellie won the Fresh Award at Craft Victoria, if I'm not, um, if that, if I'm not uh, wrong. And it was a very strong piece. And I forgot about Ellie. I, I just... She wasn't on my radar for a number of years, and I'm um, sorry for this long introduction, but um, I went to a dinner party. Someone said, uh, have a look at this. I think this is your taste. And it was an exhibition at the Feely Contemporary Gallery in Collingwood, and Ellie had a series of chairs that were stacked up. I said, this is exactly my taste. Unbelievable. Welcome to the show, Ellie. Thank you, Stephen. I'm so lovely to have reconnected years later, and I apologise for letting you go for so long but really you've been a highlight in my in recent times tell me a little bit about your background you started in fine art at RMIT University yeah I, I went back to uni I started at RMIT in 2005 and I'd been making things for a long time but decided I wanted to um I needed to be able to paint as well mm. and so I started there but as you saw by the the fresh show um, what I ended up doing was sculpture, so I figured that's really the way I see the world. And the lecturers in the painting department were just delightful because they, they allowed me to, to make things and they didn't insist that I painted and they accepted that as my folio as an equal of a painting. So, yeah, it was great. It's hard to describe, Ali, your work, but... I hope you don't mind. These are just the, because this isn't a visual show. No. Um, but they're quite surreal, uh, quite disturbing in some way for people. Um, for instance, in the fairly contemporary art show, you had um, 48 chairs uh, all stacked up, and they were quite distorted, covered in leather. Uh, some of them had claws. Some of the chairs had... Um, uh, open mouths screaming with teeth set in, in the side of pieces. Very confronting, but incredibly um, um, disturbing. I mean, they were just so beautiful. They were just so beautiful and quite surreal. You must have very, um, you know, it must be interesting getting the reaction to, see, hearing the reaction of, of people to your work. It is, it is really interesting. Um, and I... When I'd installed it, I thought, I really don't make life very easy for myself because <laughs> you're standing looking and you think, well, yeah, it really isn't. Three years' know, work. Yeah, three years' work, but it really is, a, um, apart from the scale of it, is a difficult piece for a lot of people. But a lot of the work that I make I find quite funny, and so I, I, I'm shocked when people find it unsettling and off-putting. Um, but I also think that's really good because I'm always pleased when people are able to bring their own narrative to the work, that, that it's not my story that they're mm. reading. It's it's their, it's their own version. Mm. Um, and I I feel I've done my job if, if the work gives you enough to invent your own stories. How do you start a piece? I mean, that major installation, mm. what was, what was behind that work? Um, Always, generally the work comes from words, you know, so I write, I write, and, and so it's an idea or a concept that starts everything. This one, I'm just fascinated with our relationship with the natural world. 
and how much distance we have um, now. And, you know, the way we see the natural world is through, you know, um, double glazed windows and doors. We, we don't go outside to see what the weather is. We, we listen to someone else telling us what it's going to be or we look through a window. Um, but yet we try and replicate the natural environment inside our built interiors. Mm -hmm. So it started from that idea. Mm -hmm. And and these are creatures that are half furniture and half wild. So mm. it's that sort of dichotomy, I suppose, that I was trying to capture. Uh, one of the uh, more aggressive, I'd call it inverted commas, pieces or the more you know, disturbing pieces, there's a chair with this head as a, uh, in the back of the chair and it kind of leans over and it's got a tongue yeah. flying out, almost going to you know, eat you alive. Um, it is humorous, but it is quite um, intimidating. Yes. Yeah, the, the um, I think perhaps the teeth are difficult, and each every chair that was the the common the common um, thread that runs through each chair is they're all completely s sort of suffocated in a new skin of black leather, and they all have some form of teeth, teeth. or jaw. They're not real teeth. Um, there are a few animal um, jaws in there, but most of them are um, dentures or acrylic teeth that I've set and reset into jaws that fit piece of work um yeah so i think more than anything the teeth are probably the most unsettling part of of the work but um i i find and they were a deliberate inclusion i i i remember going to auschwitz and and being just horrified at the piles of people's belongings you know the piles of suitcases and the piles of saucepans and the and and I know that they extracted teeth and things, the Nazis, you know, to get the gold fillings. And and also the fact that teeth are often the last thing that are left to identify a body. Mm -hmm. So they are what identifies us too. Mm -hmm. So, so yes. But I, I think a lot of them are funny. I mean, I think mm -hmm. the ones with the tongues are funny. But <laughs> um, Ellie, you're a, f a, a fascinating person because A... You don't promote yourself like a lot of other artists. You keep a very low profile, which is, it's interesting. I mean, and I think your home studio kind of reflects your world. It's um, it's a fascinating place. I mean, I was very moved when I saw it for the first time, and I see a lot of uh, houses and studios, and I'm always, you know, thinking, oh, yes, they're, they're fine. But this one was quite different from anything else I'd seen quite extraordinary and I literally was shaking when I left um, I just couldn't help myself I I was telling everyone you know if you only see one thing in your life <laughs> um, remember to see this this place it's beautifully curated you kind of work between the floors of your warehouse home but it's for you and tell me about how you work and how important the studio is for you I, I, I laugh when you when you sort of recount your response because I'm always shocked. You know, I don't. It's not to me. It's not an unusual space, or it's not. It's not any different to anybody else's home, really. So I, I always get thrown when you have a response like that. But yeah, and I don't. I don't really think about it. Certainly not as it's not a showcase, or it's not anything as formal as that. I just make. A space that allows me to exist without having to engage with the rest of the world. Mm. So, 
I often, so yeah, I'm, I make the space as beautiful as I possibly can that allows me never have to seek anything else, really. If I don't have to leave the front door, I'm happy. Well, there's some amazing things in that place. I mean, just to describe a few, in your lift, you've got uh, faux turf on the floor. You've got little bags of water with goldfish hanging inside the lift. It's almost like an art gallery. So even when you go between the, the different floors, you there's that experience. And... Um, look just quite special. I mean, I haven't seen things like that. And on your rooftop garden, you've got a swing because I think you mentioned that you loved the sense of being in the air and swinging. And again, Child. that's escape, you know, that's that's that form of escape again too, you know. The, the house is like, um, you know, if you had trapdoors, secret trapdoors in your house or in your world and you could just open a door and, and run away. So the house is built as as a bunker and and, you know, the secret tunnel or the whatever. And the swing is the same thing. It's just, it's the closest that I can get to the experience of flying. Yeah. And that would be, you know, if I could choose something to do, it would be to, to, to fly. fly. Mm. How do you tend to start your work? And how do you structure your your day? Um, I, I Look, I always, you know, I admire... I admire people with a really good work ethic and I know, you know, you read about people like Nick Cave who who leaves work as if he's going to the office, you know, and, and works nine to five and he does that every day. And and I've worked out that that, that ethic works well for me, that, that I make myself work during working hours because it's often every piece of work that you make is the most difficult thing you've ever done. And it's more difficult than the piece you've just finished, and then the next one will be more difficult than that. So it's not, it's not a, it's not a pleasurable experience making a piece of work. It's, I don't Challenging. know if that's the case for everybody. It's something that I have to do, but it's not easy. And so, having that that regular work pattern helps mm. helps that, and it stops, it stops you choosing to do other things that you know can mm. easily distract you. Do you have something set in your mind generally, or is it you sketch things on paper, or is it the material something you you find? You're you're a great fossicker. A magpie, yeah, I am. Oh, you are a magpie. <laughs> yes. Where do you find things, and does that inform the work, or do you have a, a vision and then start setting out to look for pieces that are going to fit in? No, because I find that. Uh, what do I? I start generally, as I said to you before. I, I write. I generally I keep a journal. I've always written, so I write. And I draw and I collect images and I'll stick them, you know, stick them in. And and I've always got maybe 20 or 30 ideas that are possibilities for future mm. pieces of work. And there'll be one that I decide that I'll, that I'll begin. And then it's a matter of working out what material I can find to create that piece of work. And generally it is things that you would find lying around you you know it's never you know it's never taking something to a foundry to get cast or um anything as monumental as that it's generally found objects so the chairs were all from hard rubbish it's really difficult to work that way in some respects because you need very specific things for the work and they're not new or manufactured so that that can be a problem, and I tend when I collect things just 
now I don't even question why I pick them up. I just know that if it appeals to me, I'll bring it home and I'll might, use it somewhere. So it might sit for a while in a corner yeah. with a pile of bones or yeah. something yeah. or pile of feathers, yeah. pile of teeth. <laughs> and then it just it just grows. Yeah, and so I'll make something and then I have then it's easy to work because you have all the materials around you. You can you can mm. take things and try them and and uh, mix and match. That works quite well. So the more materials you have at your disposal, mm. the easier that is. Where are you, where are you heading with your work? I mean, you had that big body of work which took 3 years. Mm -hmm. So is it individual pieces now that you... Yes, I don't think I'll make the one big installation for a while. Mm. Um, or take three years to make another piece of work because it... Kills you. Yeah, it does. It does. It stops... Yeah, it stops you It stops you sort of having other avenues of, of you know, experimentation yeah. because you're so focused for such a long period of time. So, yeah, it will be smaller, more accessible pieces yeah. of work, I think, for the next while anyway, yeah. Ellie, is it difficult doing the type of work you do to to really find an audience in Australia? Because we're fairly conservative here. And your work is very beautiful, but it's also very specific. Yeah, look, I... And I think most people, most artists you would speak to would say they don't really think about the audience, and I certainly yeah. don't. Yeah. And as I said to you, I, I make the work and it doesn't worry me if nobody sees it particularly. Um, it's for you. Yeah, it's just, yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. So and and so you're quite happy if it just stays in your studio? And well, you the 50-odd chairs are a bit of a, <laughs> <laughs> Those a, bit of a problem. But, um, yeah, that's a big problem. Well, it's area-wise as it well. It is. You know, it'd be easier if it was painting because you could just stack them up against yeah. the wall. But, yeah, they're, they're, um, they take up space. It's interesting. You did you did enrol in fine art in painting. Mm. What was it about painting that was a stumbling block for you, or was it, it just that you preferred? No, it wasn't a stumbling block. I really, really enjoyed it, and I love um, the ability to um, explore narratives with painting. In, in some ways, that's a lot easier than with a, with piece. a piece of sculpture. Um, and I love painting. I love looking at at other artists' paintings, but I just. And I did try my best, but I ended up, I would be sticking things on my paintings. And then when you got the choice, so it was quite prescriptive, you know, in the first year, but then when you were allowed to experiment and, and you know, dictate what it was you did, um, the works became, I, I always found some way of, of mm. manufacturing them into some sort of three-dimensional project with painting until I got to the last semester of third year, I think. And, and they just said do sculpture. They, no, they didn't. Yeah. I just, that's what, I was, that's what I was doing. And they said, fine, just keep going. Ali, who are some of the artists that have inspired you? Because I, I'm trying to, I don't want to, you know, pigeonhole you. But no. but what are, who are some of the artists that have really inspired you over the years? Because, I mean, for instance, in, in one of your rooms, you've got... Um, uh, Umbrellas opened that really remind me of Magritte. You know, <laughs> yeah, the, the of, cloud ones. The yeah. cloud umbrellas, yes. and they're flying across mm. the living room. People must think I'm mad describing this because they'll say, oh, you know, in a living room. But the <laughs> open umbrellas will eventually be turned into light fittings. But Magritte, is he someone that has inspired you? Um, yeah, look, I do like I do like the surrealists. I like, um, but perhaps not quite so um, blatant as Magritte. I like Max Ernst. Um, and um, and 
perhaps the ones that lean more towards Dada and you know Hannah Hawke and early early twenties in yeah. Germany. But um, Francis Bacon, I love Francis Bacon, and then oldies like um, Bosch and. Um, mm. Uh, I like Paula Rago. She did so quite artists who kind of distort their work. I was thinking about I was thinking about that, and and a lot of photographers like um, Diane Arbus and Roger Ballin, and and I was thinking about Francis Bacon. I was thinking about why he appeals to me, and I think when you look at his work, you know that he's painting things that are in the real world, but you know they're not really there. They're mm. in Francis Bacon's world, mm. which is not the same place that we see. Mm. Even though they're recognisable as people or a chair, or so it's really developing a world in your head. Mm. This is yeah. for Ali Aiken. Somewhere else, it's always been somewhere else, but not so completely somewhere else that it's divorced completely from the real world. Mm. Yeah. What's the most enjoyable process of the work? Is it just standing back at the end and seeing whether it's you know forty-eight chairs stacked up to the the rafters or a piece of sculpture that you've been working on and you've got... What, what, what's the process? The idea to start with, the writing in the journal, the... Yeah, I like... I, I enjoy I enjoy the idea when it gets the, when it gets that sort of chrysalis and, and it's like, yes, that's, that's exactly what I want to say and this is how I'm going to go about it. I find the next part the most difficult probably. The, Translating that idea. I can visualise it. And I've learnt to be a lot more relaxed about that and not be prescriptive about, you know, translating the words, you know, directly and the image. I allow the work to inform it, the, the finished product much more than I used to, which was great. Um, but, yeah, the, um, the starting with the new materials and manipulating those and getting them to work in the way that I need them to, mm. I guess once I get past that, I quite enjoy I, I enjoy the um, I enjoy the labour, mm. um, and just the the solitude of that mm. of making something by myself. Yeah. Look, Ellie, I think you're an amazing talent. I really do. I think you're you're someone who should be. I know you don't want to be known particularly, but I want other people to know about your work because it really does resonate with me and anyone else who has seen it and been fortunate to see it. Um, Look, I just, I'd love to, I'd love to just, I know you don't want to see your name in lights and that's not you, but I just think you've got so much to say and your work is so extraordinary. And look, I really do, um, I think we'll hear a lot more about you in the future, uh, whether you like it or not. <laughs> um, and um, thank you so much for coming on to uh, Talking Design today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, David. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design at RMIT University. Thanks so much for listening.